Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Fellows, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Today, we're going to look at some of the challenges and opportunities that cities and towns face as they ponder and move forward with uh, with various strategies to bring super-fast Internet access to their uh, constituents. And I thought it would be good uh, to get some perspectives on this topic from the National League of Cities, since they are one of the, I guess, front and foremost organizations that represents uh, the interests of uh, cities and towns across the U.S. They also have um, state chapters that represent another huge number of of um communities and so their finger is definitely on the pulse of what's going on with uh with broadband in both large urban cities as well as as smaller rural areas and joining me today is Julia um Paladindi, who is the senior associate who's responsible for infrastructure programs, and this is all part of the City Solutions and Applied Research uh, Department of the League. Julia, welcome to the show. Hello? Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. So let's get started and talk a little bit about what you do and and its role within the the league and maybe even a little bit about the the you know the, the National League of Cities as well um so that the audience who may not be familiar with uh, the organization gets a clear picture of what what you folks are up to Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, the National League of Cities is a membership organization that represents cities of all sizes um, across the country. Um, we engage uh, most directly with the local elected officials of um, cities and towns and other local municipalities. Uh, we were formed by um, the state league association, so each state essentially has um, a municipal league, and we were formed to be um, a national voice to Washington um in in based here in DC um our primary uh reason for existing was to be um that national voice to the federal government for cities across the country um but as you know the organization grew and um other resources for local governments the need for other resources for local governments came about we've expanded um the League has expanded its work from just federal advocacy to leadership training, um, to research, to providing best practice solutions, um, and and also a department to support our, our growing membership. I work in, um, as you said, the City Solutions and Applied Research Department, where um, a lot of our research um, lives. Um, we do a couple annual um, research reports that, that are widely known in the city fiscal conditions realm and economic conditions realm. Um, I work on infrastructure issues, so primarily telecommunications and transportation infrastructure. The biggest issues um, that I find with infrastructure um, for local governments is the financing and the planning side of things. I feel that these are the two biggest challenges local governments face, and if they can get their heads um, around the best way to address these challenges for their communities, they can really 
um, uh, push their communities into um, prosperous growth um, by being able to um, thoughtfully and comprehensively plan transportation and telecommunications infrastructure systems. Mm-hmm. On the telecommunications infrastructure side, um, our work started out more um, on the technology applications side of things. Um, we do a lot of work with other like-minded organizations in the D.C. area, like the Public Technology Institute, the National Association of Counties, the National Association of Telecommunications Officers and Advisors. Um, our membership overlap each other, so it makes sense for us to be in touch with each other so that we all know what each other's working on and we can be a resource um, for each other on these really big issues. Um, as I said, our, our work kind of started off on the technological application side here in the in the City Solutions Department. Um, we did an informal poll with a small set of our members to identify or to gauge, really, um, what technology topics are of most interest to them. And coming out of that poll about, I think we did it in 2009 for the first time, um, we found that local elected officials care most about social media, um, transparency, and how technology solutions can impact service delivery, municipal service delivery specifically. So our work had centered around that, um, but as we kind of looked at all these tools and innovations that were coming out um, through technology, we realized that there really is a need for a very strong, robust telecommunications infrastructure to you know, support existing technologies and also drive the creation of new technologies that can further enhance efficiency and um, cost saving for local governments. So um, our, our work in this realm is twofold. It focuses a lot on the application side because it's um, it's what our members have asked for and, and what they respond to, but also we try and kind of bolster that with um, with resources on how they can um, enhance their telecommunications infrastructure because um, I find that telecommunications infrastructure investment in that is, is a hard sell for local governments. It's not something that um, that communities see or actually see as kind of an exciting thing. It's it's fiber in the ground, right? There's no real mm-hmm. excitement in that. Um, the excitement comes from what you can do with that once you have it in place. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Now, you mentioned, you know, one of the, the main challenges is to bolster telecommunication infrastructure. Is that to say that from your members' perspective that the um, state of the infrastructure currently is lacking? Yes. Um, we feel that um, that there needs to be greater investment in in our infrastructure, in the nation's infrastructure overall. Um, but looking at the lack of federal funding or the lack of the ability for federal governments to fund these um, these major capital projects the way they have been in the past, we look at how local governments are kind of meeting these needs on their own, um, you know, either through partnerships with the private sector or um, or you know raising revenues on their own, whether it's through taxes or or, or cuts in other in other areas. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, the reason I sort of jump on this is because um, there are a number of folks, what we politely, we in the industry, 
politely referred to as uh, front organizations that will put post these uh, columns and op-eds and whatnot in various publications and say, oh, well, you know, everything is great, our infrastructure is great, America is kicking butt, yeah, rah, rah. And, you know, I, from having been in the trenches, really know that this is not true, but it's it's good to mm-hmm. hear, you know, your perspective, because obviously you've got a lot of folks, you know, the, 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 that are your members, that are from these cities, that are giving you feedback and so forth. Um, we... we do you have a sort of a reason why there seems to be this disconnect between, you know, one group of folks saying, oh, everything is well, and then you have communities, you know, your members saying, but they're not well? Um, you know, I like I said, we represent cities of all sizes. Um, we represent the really big cities, and we represent the really small communities. And if you look at um, the resources various size cities have and, and the investment that is kind of poured into you know, certain parts, there are parts of the country that do have very adequate access um, and and opportunities. And, you know, you look at those areas and maybe their issue is application or or, or actual adoption of the, of the technology. Um, and then you also have communities that don't have adequate access. So I, I think, you know, those those columns and those blogs and and those other resources that are saying that actually I just you know I read a piece that talked about um, broadband spe- speeds in the U.S. and and how we're not doing as bad as as everybody would like us to think or or what OECD was saying you know a couple years ago and where we ranked um, for broadband access and I think that they're right but I don't think um, those findings you know speak for the entire country. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so we basically we have a, a, a challenge here to, um, to to set the record straight of what's the reality versus what's the I don't know the the, the smoke and mirrors of you know folks who want to make it a, a better picture than what the picture is across the board. I mean, not that there are mm-hmm. that there are not communities that have adequate broadband, but it's more that um, you know we 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 gloss over. I think the depth of the problem is 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 what I sort of sense is going on. Yeah, absolutely. I I would agree with that. It's um it's it's looking at um it's, I I think it's not fully outlining um as you said the breadth of this issue across the entire country. Um and what broadband access means for for everywhere, using the same definition for you know large cities as you are for um, for smaller communities. And if so, um, that might be incorrect. We know that smaller communities don't have the you know types of infrastructure to support the high speed access that you know maybe larger communities have, where greater investment has gone into that. So um, so it does make sense to to paint that more comprehensive picture that while we're doing great in certain areas, um, we do need to look at other areas so that we don't um, we don't create an environment where they're going to be chronically lagging and not able to keep up with, with other communities. And the one thing that was in the article that you wrote a couple of weeks ago for the um for the league's publication, you know, you talked about gigabit cities and the mm-hmm. fact that 
there, there's there's kind of like almost two levels of discussion. It's either you know we have poor infrastructure, or some folks will say, well, you know, it's not that bad. But then you also have folks that are pushing the envelope, getting you know massive uh, improvements in their in their telecommunication infrastructure by putting in these fiber networks that are adding a different element to it. It's sort of like, well, you know, it's not even a question of are we doing okay or are we doing well. It's the fact that there are there there are those communities that are doing light years better and that mm-hmm. we need to try to emphasize um, trying to emulate those, you know, not just those folks who are just trying to maintain parity, but folks who are saying, look, you know, we we can really push this envelope a lot further than a lot of people are, are, are talking about right now. Is that yeah. a fair assessment? Well, yeah, and um, I, I actually might, you know, take it a step back before that and um, – you know the the piece that you mentioned reference references um cities who've kind of who've taken the charge into building these networks that'll allow them greater capacity and and you know understand the benefits that this can have for the community for now and the potential it has um to help them grow in the future um one thing that you know, we promote a lot of solutions here at the National League of Cities. We talk about the role of community broadband networks we talk about. Um, the role of public-private partnerships. We talk about the role of federal funding. We don't prescribe any one of these solutions as the end-all, be-all of um, of what can of of what a city's telecommunications infrastructure looks like. These are all just tools that local governments really need to, you know, explore and dig deep on, and you know, decide for themselves if this is the best choice for their community. And before you even get to that point, I think a lot of local governments and, you know, this is kind of the challenge when you see a lot of development happening in this area, we don't want local governments building a community broadband network just for the sake of it. Um, mm-hmm. If it's doing it, if they're doing it just because it's the next best thing and and, you know, their regional peers or their national peers are doing this, that's not what we want them to do because it's not building for the sake of building. It's a city looking at what their goals are and what their needs are and looking at how this infrastructure, um, if planned correctly and managed properly, how that can feed into their long-term and future growth. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like we we don't really want people just doing this, keeping up with the Joneses. Which is um, absolutely. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you follow if you were following the stuff in 2005, 2004 when the Muni Wi-Fi thing was like literally all the rage, and and you couldn't find enough mayors fast enough who could get to a microphone that weren't promising, uh, yeah. you know, to have have Wi-Fi because it was going to cure, and then there'd be the long list of things that it would help cure and th- uh, deal with and so forth, and everyone just kind of it became like a limbing effect. And um, yeah. now I think you have people kind of going, you know, well, are we about? Are we trying to do the same thing? Are we trying to create this limiting effect, and are we just, you know, doing this to do this? And it's good to hear that you guys are, you know, taking the more rational approach of each each community's got to figure out its own needs, and then figure out ways to move forward to meet those, and then whatever technology fits the bill that they can afford to fund, then that's that's where we should go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's why, um, you know, I struggle with this, um, or you know, helping our members understand that the solutions we're promoting, um, or the examples we're promoting, um, you know, are great—the good ones and the bad ones—because you can learn from the 
from the unsuccessful stories as well. Um, but I found that, you know, from my work here at the League on Telecommunications and Transportation, every issue is so specific to that community's needs and their challenges and their, you know, political landscape, their, you know, constituents. So all these kinds of um, ideas that we're promoting are really just to kind of help them think creatively. Maybe they'll see an example and think that, oh, you know, the housing authority might be a really good partner in a transportation development project that we hadn't thought about or, um, or you know, the public works partner can be really good if we are trying to expand broadband deployment. I'm sure there are a lot of communities out there that are doing it, but, you know, our hope is that the examples that we promote help them think a little more creatively and innovatively about who the stakeholders um, are and, and how they can be engaging with them a little more meaningfully. Mm-hmm. Now, how you know you mentioned there are two challenges. One is financing, and one is planning. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's start with the planning first. This is a mm-hmm. big topic of mine because it isn't uh, glamorous or glorious. But heaven mm-hmm. knows, if you don't have it, <laughs> you're mm-hmm. really in some yeah. in some trouble here. So yeah. Now, what, what, so, what um, challenges are you seeing to the planning process? Um. I find that, again, because some of the challenges are so specific to communities, just to kind of speak generally about what I've seen is um, lack of communication between, and I won't even go get to the stakeholder part, I mean at the local elected official level, um, lack of communication and understanding between policymaking peers um, can be one of the challenges there. I know each um, community has its own set of priorities and and you know projects that they want to promote, and then even drilling down further, you look at a city council, and each one kind of has each person on the council have their own priorities that they want to focus on. So, how do you communicate best with your policymaking peers um, to kind of come to consensus on what projects and what initiatives and programs are best for the community overall? Um, and then it's engaging with your local stakeholders um, and, you know, tapping into all possible um, resources at the local level, whether it's, you know, outside of your your city council, it's the city departments. So working with them more closely and understanding how the policies they make play out at the implementation level is, is vital. Um, and also understanding what resources exist internally so that you're not recreating the wheel um, and, you know, kind of needlessly investing in things that you might not need to be investing just by not taking um, account of what assets that you already have internally. Um, looking at the community overall, so community development groups, um, economic development groups, nonprofits, um, um even you know the business community, how can their input help help enhance your planning processes in a way that um, your plans are very comprehensive and they're very well rounded because they've taken into um, consideration all the stakeholder input that's going to be using and implementing the system once you have it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting indeed. Now let's talk money because this this. Um, mm. Even when they've got their planning act together, generally the big bump in the road tends to come with the whole issue of, of financing. 
what are the what are the challenges there? Um, access to financing. There's there's very limited federal funding um, for these projects, um, and they tend to be very specific. I was just looking at um, at a at a notice from USDA, um, the Rural Utility Service for for expansion of broadband, and it's very specific to small smaller rural communities. So you have medium to larger communities who kind of miss out on that those opportunities. Um, the stimulus funding that came out of ARA and all the money that went for you know, broadband adoption and deployment was great, but um, that's run out. So the onus is on local governments to sustain whatever they've created so far. Um, so with the lack of, you know, federal funding, I think local governments really have to be strategic in looking at how they can leverage um, partnerships with the private sector so that it truly is a partnership and not a sale of public assets. Um, that way they can kind of have these access to funds um, in a way that's mutually beneficial to the public sector and the private sector while they're able to have a stake and ownership in it. And that's a, that's a tricky one because I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, there's a there's a difference between a partnership in which both sides have a stake and both sides have a benefit, versus these things where cities basically turn over everything, all the keys to the kingdom, to yeah. do deals and contracts that aren't necessarily beneficial. And then all of a sudden, you know, two three years down the road, they're locked in and they're screwed because they haven't done, you know, they did, they did poor deals in the interest of just trying to get a deal done. Right. Right. How do, yeah, how do you I, counter that that urge to want to just do a deal to do a deal? I, I, you know, I think cities really have to think about again going back to you know when you set your goals and your priorities. What are your long term goals and priorities? And is selling off your public assets going to help you meet them? Or is it just going to meet a short-term need, which might create a greater problem down the road for you? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it will. Um, maybe it will fix everything, the sale of, of your infrastructure. Um, but again, I think that's something only that one community can know for sure through really rigorous and extensive you know, research and looking at, um, at what they want. Um, from this partnership and, and what they want for their communities going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be a, uh, you know, that that becomes a very complex issue, I think, in some respects, because you have all of the, the, the political issues, and by political, not necessarily like elected officials, though they obviously are one, mm-hmm. But I mean, if you go in any community, I mean, you have you know who who's going to be the lead organization, who's going to be the lead mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. You know, who are your stakeholders, and what kind of clout do they have? And you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and for example, in, in the uh, state legislature in in California, uh, you know, there is a lot of interest in putting money into broadband adoption programs, which primarily are urban targeted mm-hmm. because a lot of the uh legislators that are in in the um you know that are in office are from urban areas and not that um you know the urban areas don't have a need but what seems to be happening is that you know the local you know what comes down to the local area 
is being governed by um I don't know. Well, well, by personal politics, you know, I sort of like I come from this area, and this is who I represent, and so they should get the lion's share of the money or the deal. Mm-hmm. But you can see similar kinds of things where someone, you know, in a town might say, "Well, we should do this because, you know, their Aunt Maybell or you know, whomever is 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 part of this group, and this group needs to be taken care of because they have whatever need that it is." In other words, like personal politics, and there's community politics, and then there's just sort of the political stuff that goes on and you know with the elected officials and whatnot and all of these present challenges i'm Mm -hmm. I'm assuming now um, no go ahead no no i was just gonna agree with you (laughs) so looking at uh, by the way you know talking about the state level stuff um the national league of cities has what do you call the state Partners? Are they affiliates? Are they? Is there um, official title? There is. Um, so in D.C. there are Washington D.C. there are um, seven state and local uh, membership advocacy associations. There's the National Governors Association, the mm-hmm. National Conference of State Legislatures, the Council of State Governments. Um, those are the state level. Um, the local level are the National League of Cities, National Association of Counties. U.S. Conference of Mayors and the um, International City County Managers Association. Um, so it's the the large city mayors with USCM and LC is is all cities. NACO is the counties and the city county managers are the city county managers, obviously. So mm-hmm. we all work um, together on uh, on a lot of advocacy issues. Um, the big seven organizations meet regularly to um just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page with each other um with our priorities with with legislative movement um, um and again that's kind of on our federal advocacy side on the research and best practices side um we have worked with state associations before, particularly the National Conference of State Legislatures. Not so much on the telecommunications front. Um, mm-hmm. We've done it more on the uh, um, on the transportation front. But I imagine with the development specifically of um, FirstNet um, and and the kind of conversations that are going to need to take place between the state and locals, there'll be opportunities for us to collaborate more on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at it from a city perspective, you know, for for all my city folk who are ever at town, I mean, basically the the city officials, the city uh, project teams, the local local community broadband teams, how do they take advantage of what – you're doing, you know, in your own right, the the League of Cities, and also these other advocacy groups. In other words, if I've got a broadband project, you know, I'm or I'm contemplating one, uh, you know, I've just seen maybe Cedar Falls is announced they have a gigabit network. Okay, so I'm a community mm-hmm. three towns over. Now, mm-hmm. where would it make sense for those communities to interact with either? Um, uh, the National League of Cities, or the different organizations that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I can I can't speak to the other six that I've mentioned, but I imagine it might be pretty similar. But we've done, you know, p- p- 
polls of our membership um, to identify the primary reasons they join our organization. Mm -hmm. It's for the networking and the best practices and the federal advocacy. That's kind of a given because we're all in D.C. and and it makes sense for us to do that. But outside of that, um, it's opportunities for networking and then also the, um, you know, sharing how how they're solving problems in their own communities. And I would encourage, you know, cities that are looking for these types of solutions um, to get in touch with us because we might be able to point them into a direction that they need to go. We are we have um, a website with resources. Um, staff here is very happy to, you know, to talk one-on-one with, with cities and, and help them think about these problems and put them in touch with people that could help. But it also helps form our work because we may not be hearing the breadth and width of all the issues that are out there. It might help raise a new topic to the forefront that needs to be addressed. So it's it's a very two-way type of relationship when we're able to engage with communities that are trying to address challenges. Mm-hmm. So basically looking at the, uh, you know, how to tap in. And I guess part of that, too, is that we probably, uh, and we as in we in the, the, the industry or the business of community broadband, need to make it make folks aware that the, the National League of City has these resources, that you're collecting this information mm-hmm. on best practices and so forth. And so, you know, that's half, you know, education is probably half the battle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like you can say that about almost anything, really, any kind of local <laughs> issue. Once you get your, you know, constituents um, or people on board with with what the issue is, how it can be addressed, and where you can go find resources to help you, um, you know, that's that's a huge first step to to tackling whatever your problem is. Right, right, right. No, I definitely, uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Let's take, let's shift for a little bit and take a look at some of the, um, well, both uh, the key issues in in, uh, in attacking certain areas uh, with broadband, and also how you know folks might move more effectively that in that area. One of the things in your article uh, that that also caught my attention was the emphasis on communities or cities using broadband to improve city government, uh, mm-hmm. which is a uh, topic near and dear to my heart, but it also seems to be one that not enough people really focus on. From your perspective, what are the benefits to local um, government, and how do you get folks to see that, well, they may have a need uh, that can be addressed by broadband in that area of making mm-hmm. local government more efficient. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, one of the most compelling, um, you know, factors to that would encourage local governments to invest in technology and, you know, the infrastructure needed um, is cost savings. Everybody, all local governments are, you know, have, re- you know, strained budgets. Um, are getting reduced federal funding to to manage um, their communities, and technology offers a really great opportunity to create efficiencies um, and streamline processes, so you're saving money there. Um, I think the next really important um, reason kind of relates to, to the one I just talked about, cost savings, is creating efficiency in services. So once you're... Um, 
creating those efficiencies in your service. You're freeing up your one example that that you know we talked about a while back in some in some publications is how um, technology is allowing services to be streamlined, and through that, you're allowing your workforce, your city staff workforce, to a um, you know, focus energies on other issues that need to be addressed at the local level. You're able to kind of create a more sophisticated workforce because they're not doing the kind of, you know, day-to-day, you know, infrastructure, if you will, maintenance to to maintain these, you know, telecommunication system. They can take the next step further and look at how um, how they can be used for other resources. One big example is data collection, how cities are able to collect data and how this data is being used, um, you know, for the community, um, you know, putting it out to third-party developers to create tools and resources that point to um, local government services like transit or, or you know, utilities. Um, and another is how that data is going to be used internally to as a performance tool, um, to kind of foreplan your transportation management systems or ut- your tula- utility systems, there's there's a you know two prong effect to having that data available and having a staff, a workforce that's not like I said, dealing with the day to day maintenance issues. They're looking at all the opportunities that are that are available now that their time is freed up to to you know explore these other options. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh factor that's really important and more kind of outward facing to the community is the transparency issue um the ability for lo- to, for local governments to be more transparent because of technology solutions and engage better with their communities through social media through um again having data online that communities can react to um you know whether it's meeting minutes from a council meeting to um to budget processes. Uh, we had this one example. Louisville, Kentucky had a checkbook, um, and it looked at where expenditures were going um, from the city and to who. And there's this story that one of the council members told us how there was a payment made to a local um, liquor store and how they had constituents calling in and saying why, asking why the city was paying money for this liquor store. And it turned out the liquor store overpaid their taxes and the city was just refunding them that amount. But <laughs> it just kind of goes to show you, I mean, that's engagement right there. If you have a constituent that has a question about something and the, and the government is able to engage them and answer these questions in a way that kind of makes them feel more connected to them, mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you're creating trust, you're creating a relationship, um, you're helping create a better informed constituency that will, you know, trust your leadership when you make other local policy decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, indeed. That all, that all makes a lot of sense. Now, are cities um, receptive to this message? You know, a few few years ago, I wasn't sure that cities were really getting the the message. Um, not so much that people weren't projecting it to them. It just seemed like they were, with the exception of wireless and public safety, and maybe broadband and public safety. Mm-hmm. And there was a, after the Muni Wi-Fi implosion, like in '07, '08, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these networks or these network projects 
went underground in a sense and focused primarily on public safety because everyone could yeah. see a direct benefit from there, not to mention the fact that you know, at up to that time, money for public yeah. safety was still easy to come by. Yeah. Um, I think... I, I don't think that local governments are not interested in this. I think the problem is... Um, how to prioritize this when there are so many other local needs that they're hearing from directly from their constituents. Um, I think I didn't really follow this issue that closely um, until probably the past three or four years, but I found that any type of government service that's related to some kind of social service or social good um, it, it it's an easier sell than um, you know, maintaining a a water treatment plant, or like I said, laying down fiber in a road, or or really anything that there can't be a big ribbon cutting for, and raising awareness that way. Um, I think there might be a misconception from you know constituents that that the infrastructure is is good and doesn't need more investment, but the infrastructure. Um, is lagging. Our infrastructure is lagging in a lot of areas. Um, and I think by not investing in it, it's... I think things might be functioning just well enough that that communities don't realize how much more they can be doing with, with greater investment because it's increasing their capacity. Um, and when you have so many other local priorities and needs that need to be addressed immediately, this type of investment, um, I don't want to say falls to the bottom. It's just that other things rise above it that need to be addressed um, mm-hmm. at the local level. So I think what what local governments can do to to help create an awareness and importance about the uh, of you know broadband infrastructure is to couch it in a um, conversation around economic development. Mm-hmm. And really talk about the applications that are um, that are available to communities once they have this infrastructure in place. I mean, it probably makes sense not to even use the word broadband because I think it turns off a lot of people. And I, you know, I have to say we have um, our members' interests span from environmental sustainability to transportation to economic development to small business development to housing to telecommunications infrastructure. And um, I know that my members that care about housing don't necessarily care about or see the relevance of telecommunications infrastructure infrastructure on housing issues. So I think really being able to talk about broadband in the context of other local priorities would be a really great um direction local leaders need to take because it it creates a demand for it without them realizing what they're asking for is is that telecommunications infrastructure does that make sense yes so you feel basically like kind of going in a roundabout way of describing this but well, well no yeah well you, no i think that that's basically i think a lot of people can relate to that it's uh, it's this whole issue of trying to explain technology to someone 
who is worried about the rent, who is worried about their mm-hmm. job, who's worried about a number of other mm-hmm. things, who will always say, you know, we got people dying in the streets. Why do we need to worry about broadband? Because broadband conjures up a certain image. And so yeah. if you really want to be effective at selling broadband, you have to uh, subvert the desire to talk about techie because it's cool and talk about, you know, well, here are these benefits. And, you know, by the way, you have this thing called broadband kind of makes this thing possible. But don't worry about the broadband part. Here's the solution we're going to deliver for you. And yeah. by shifting the focus, basically shift the the amount of support they get and the interest they get and, and then be able to move projects forward more quickly. Is that a word? Quicker, faster. Somebody help me here with my English. All of those work for me. <laughs> so, but, but yes, I think everyone really fully understands that. And this is probably a good point to talk about the economic development side, which has been mm-hmm. a recurring theme on, on my show. But one of the reasons it's a recurring theme is because people seem to be able to identify um, with economic development. It's almost become like the new public safety, right? Because if you talked public safety mm-hmm. and broadband eight years ago, well, there was always money because it was public safety. Now I think if you talk economic development and broadband, there is at least interest to find money, even if the money doesn't exist, because everyone's so worried about their local economy folding completely if they don't do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that a sort of a common thing? It's like um, you know people are are paying attention to the economic development because so many local economies are taking hits week after week. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it really goes back to um, the the notion of how local governments can do more with less. Um, how are they going to drive growth in their communities given their reduced or, you know, constrained budgets? Um, and how um, and what tools can kind of help them maximize their resources. So the technology piece, the broadband piece, hasn't really been part of the National League of Cities approach in the past around economic development. It's something that we're trying to um, explore now. We have a a conference in Seattle, our annual conference at the end of the year, which will look at the impact broadband can have on issues like workforce development Mm-hmm. and small business development and entrepreneurship and uh, rural wealth creation. Um, it's not something that we've connected the dots before on, um, mm-hmm. but we're really trying to, again, it's meeting our members where they are, meeting cities where they are, and again, there are probably a handful of us out there that actually get excited and, and care about and want to talk about broadband all day long, but understanding that this isn't the reality for everybody, how do we how do we meet them on their level and get them to get excited about this? Um, or not even excited about it, but just get them to understand that there's a need for this type of investment to meet other community goals. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, but just, just a random question. Uh, were you always interested in technology? Like, were you super geek in high school and said, hey, you know, I want to try to stay engaged, and so now you do both the technology side and the policy side, which is, you know, interesting in its own right. But were you always yeah. in tech, or did this come later in life? No, actually, it it kind of came out um, since I've been at the National League of Cities. My background is actually international development, and mm-hmm. um, and I've I've always liked economic development um more in the international context but you know coming to the League of Cities 
um, I haven't, I hadn't really followed local domestic policy at all because um, I thought, you know, I'm in the U.S. We have it right. I mean, there's <laughs> there's no more work needed to do here. But you know, working here at the league, and I see so many challenges nationally that filter down and end up playing out at the local level. Um, there's so much opportunity here in this country for increased economic development, and um, and I don't know how to say it. And, and smarter economic development, sustainable economic development, economic development that's going to like drive you straight into the future. Um, and I think investment in infrastructure is one of the biggest things this country and, and local governments need to do to get to that point where they are really setting themselves up, setting themselves up for success in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. Makes no, sense. I wasn't always a. I wasn't always a techie person. <laughs> It's kind of rolled been a along. Growth person, I think. Yeah. Uh, there you go. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. I know that from a uh, engagement standpoint, that um, you know, the more that you can get policymakers at the local level and mm-hmm. politicians, um, at least use some aspect of technology, it makes it easier to sell some of these other other projects. I mean, for mm-hmm. example, the mm-hmm. The former mayor of Philadelphia, the one preceding Mayor Nutter currently, uh, you know, had two, three, you know, smartphones and computing devices and whatnot, and was just totally into the technology, and mm-hmm. and he instantly figured out why broadband, or in their case, citywide Wi-Fi, was going to be important as a as a policy issue because it was going to attack um, underserved, poor income, low income communities. And but but he had the uh, immersion in, in the technology because he was a gadget freak, and then I have mm-hmm. talked to other folks who say you know our city council or our county commissioners are you know just way behind the times. They don't understand the technology. They fear the technology, mm-hmm. and I've even heard it offered as a strategy that you should take a bunch of um, elected officials or either one on one or as a group and find some interesting, creative way to get them to play with technology for about an hour or two. Mm-hmm. As, you know, find something that everybody can relate to, a simple game, something, so that mm-hmm. they get past this thoroughly ingrained phobia about technology because then if you sort of op- if you if you lower the fear boundaries, even if it's a subconscious fear, you can then start to talk policy because they no longer mm-hmm. fear it, which which may impair their abilities to move move projects forward, mm-hmm. is because of a subconscious mm-hmm. fear. Is that logical, illogical, California dream? No, what think, do you think? No, I actually I never thought about it that way, but I think that's a great point. I think, like you said, there's a lot of fear around technology, and and you know what I've learned since I've been covering this issue. Um, you know, technology is somewhat relative. It doesn't always have to be a high-tech solution that's going to fix your problem. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think what you need to do to, not you, society, um, and what's, <laughs> you know, some of the successful BTOP projects did this, is how do you make um, technology relevant to someone? Um, and I saw in a lot of the broadband adoption programs, you created relevance by, again, meeting people where they are. So a project in one of the communities in Massachusetts, um, 
it was on how to meet um, veterans' needs or how to access veterans' benefits. So it was this online tool that was created um, and an education process, a digital literacy process that accompanied it so that there's already a demand for this. So people aren't going to be scared to use it. They want to use it because they want to access their benefits. So that kind of aptitude for learning already opens up because they know what they're going to get in the end. Mm-hmm. It's meeting one of their needs. Um, and I think John Horgan and, and Dr. Gant referenced this at a broadband summit at the FCC earlier this year, um, that that's, that's how you ensure the success of these programs is to they 100% have to be relevant. And I think it's the same thing with the policy conversation. How do you, um, how do you um, kind of frame these really high-tech you know, issues in a way that a policymaker can see the impact it's going to have on meeting their community goals, whether mm-hmm. it's to, you know, increase the number of graduates. So how do you use, you know, technology solutions for education to help meet those needs? Um, or if it's for, I mean, I'm going to talk about transportation because I do that. We did um, mm-hmm. a couple polls that are, at our um at our conference um a few years ago to just identify what local challenges a lot of communities are facing transportation congestion was one of them and i think technology solutions are a great way to manage that there's so many technological innovations out there that um that can kind of help manage congestion which is a huge issue for me as a commuter, you know, never mm-hmm. mind, uh, you know, someone that covers this issue. So I just think um, by, again, making the technology relevant, you create a demand, you create a thirst for these policymakers. And again, they're not the implementers. They just need to be the force at the local level that'll help um, drive innovation through the policy decisions they make. Mm-hmm. The hard stuff of picking out what technologies to pick and and how to pick them and how best to implement them. You leave that to your experts at the city staff level. But, um, you know, I think local elected officials um, really need to understand all the opportunities that are available to them, and I see that as a huge responsibility for organizations like the National League of Cities to help elected officials understand that there are solutions out there um, that will you know, fix this one problem that they want and also have a spillover effect for some other types of challenges that they didn't even realize could, you know, be fixed by this tool. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, see. We've got about 10 minutes here to go. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the education component because I think that, um, you know, similar to the issue of economic development, which people, you know, feel pretty strongly about, I'd like to think there is a there's some level of interest in improving our education system that folks will would would be able to get behind uh, initiatives if they were couched as education uh you know enhancement improvement you know making in essence making a better workforce or a better mm-hmm. prepared workforce mhm uh is is that uh, do you see that discussion happening a lot you know let's let's uh, pursue you know education goals with broadband and and that moves people off the dime i 
I don't know that I can say it's education that that gets people, gets elected officials excited about broadband. Um, I think it is, um, but I think there are so many other things. Um, again, it just kind of comes down to what that local elected official's project is or what he want, he or she wants to be a spokesperson for or champion for. Um, and, and, you know, allowing their role as that champion to, to help raise this issue to the top. I see it as education as a big one. Um, but I see other things, too. Um, Mayor John Marks from Tallahassee, we had him on a panel at our conference last year um, called Technology Solutions for Sustainable Infrastructure, and he talked about um, what their smart grid was doing in the community and how um, it's helping create cost savings for their residents by um, by allowing them to track their, their usage. Um, you give people a chance to, you know, save money that way, help meet environmental goals by changing their behavior. Um, mm-hmm. It was a really great engagement process, he said. Um, it allows, you know, kind of your constituents that in into your world a little bit um, from the kind of operations and management side. But I think it's kind of allowing them in, in a way that's relevant to them. Um, it creates trust. And, you know, that kind of trust-building factor is so important for local leaders. As I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. once you have that trust from your constituents, you can push a lot more projects through um, because there is a huge, you know, perception that government doesn't manage your money well. But if you're able to relate to them and show them what you are doing with that, with the funds that, um, that you know, that they're, that they're getting from taxes, it's, it's a great tool. Um mm-hmm that local governments can use. To to bring things back in in the circle back to uh government and government efficiency, one of the things that is discussed a fair bit in uh Kansas City and a number of other places that are building these um these gigabit networks is the ability to 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 form collaboration. So like if you take the schools mm-hmm. as an example, you know, your typical study group here, you Ten people in this class get together and work on this project, and the way they go. Whereas now they're going to they're get broadband in the place, then they're going to say, "Well, let's have a collaboration between you know these ten school districts." Or if you're working on a particular project in a language course, let's find a group in in China or in Europe somewhere. Mm-hmm. In essence, creating better education through collaboration, using the technology to collaborate between different parties. Is it possible that, that government could start, especially local government, could start to collaborate via broadband so that certain projects or just certain discussions take on a greater regional, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, significance or importance, and mm-hmm. that way they may get better project done because they get better policy done and so forth because they're combining, in essence, their knowledge bank of you know all these different. Yeah, communities. absolutely. Um- we did a webinar a couple weeks ago, or sorry, last month actually, with um, the National Telecommunications and Infrastructure Administration on um, their newly released broadband adoption toolkit, and we featured um, four communities that had broadband adoption programs. And one of them really looked at um, the regional aspect of it. It was it was the I can't remember. I can't remember from a month ago, which it was um, Cook County, I believe. 
probably not Cook County, but it was the county government who kind of pulled together all the regional, um, you know, the regional stakeholders to provide a program that kind of had mm-hmm. a greater impact because it wasn't in the silo of one governmental jurisdiction. Yeah, yes, the silo effect. So, yeah, so there is an understanding um, that regional collaborations, I mean, on the transportation front, it happens all the time through metropolitan planning organizations and regional councils of government. They all come together for major transportation projects. The challenge I've seen there is coming to consensus on what priorities need to be, how priorities need to be set. Everybody wants their project um, or their need addressed first. So, you know, talking about um, regional collaboration in the context of broadband, I imagine it would be the same set of issues. Every community wants, wants, you know, prominence for their needs. So it's really building that consensus at that regional level on what projects make sense and have the greatest impact with, I think, this is very important, a follow-up plan in place that once that project is off the ground and it's proven to be sustainable, how do you go to your next tier of of priorities? Um, I don't know the answer to that. Again, I think it, it happens on a case-by-case basis, but, um, but you know, when you come together in a region, when you come together in a community, everybody deserves the access, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody deserves the same type of opportunity. Um, the, the challenge or the kind of downfall is that there isn't enough money, there isn't enough resources to fulfill all, fulfill all needs at once. So, you know, fulfill the need that has the greatest impact, and soon after that, or while you're in the process of that, how do you plan for the next, the next round of, of, you know, of planning or the next stage in the process where you're meeting that other ring that, that hasn't been addressed, their needs haven't been addressed. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So we've got two minutes. Uh, in one minute, um, everybody, every community is working on a broadband project should call the National League of Cities and ask for what kind of service, what kind of help, what kind of guidance? Um, I I would say call and ask us for anything. Um, um, like I said, what we don't have internally, we do have a very large network of, as I had mentioned, the state municipal leagues, um, direct relationship with communities, um, other partner organizations. So what we are not able to provide to you, um, we have a really large network which we can tap into you, uh, tap into, and you know put you in touch with them. And again, it's it's great to know what we're not addressing so that we know that this is a priority that we need to be looking more into. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. That will pretty much wrap us for today. This has been extremely valuable. I'm very happy that you were able to make some time and be with us today and and give us some of these insights. I encourage all of our listeners to indeed get in touch with, you know, you or, you know, the league and and figure out ways to to collaborate, touch base, you know, learn some new stuff and and keep moving these broadband projects forward. So thank you very much. Thank you, Craig, for this opportunity. This has been great.
All righty. And uh, for our audience, thank you again for uh, for listening in. Tomorrow I'm here actually in uh, Albany, New York, for the New York State Broadband Summit. Uh, we will be broadcasting from that tomorrow and get some updates on what's going on in broadband in the state of New York. All right, folks, have a great day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks.